We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Friday, Vince. You know what that means. See, Vince has still got the music dancing. I know. He said he's so it, excited about the Friday. continues for me. Bag. Yep. So, Vince, it is it is that time, man. It is Friday, right? You ain't got no job. and you. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. It's a different movie. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's Friday, so it's time for Friday Free-For-All Mailbag, man. We already have a ton of questions in yes, there. And you know what? I think people just want us to rock and roll, man. So let's just get rocking and rolling and we're going to dive right into it and we'll do team recruiting, whatever it is you all want to to have happen. We would, we love it. We'll talk about whatever. We're going to start off with a super chat from Demetrius. Happy Friday family. Where would you say the wide receiver prospects on the 23 board rank among our current receivers coming out of high school? This is a really good question, Vince, because Notre Dame's had some pretty good receivers over the years. Yeah. But not all of them were considered highly ranked guys. I mean, Will Fuller was not a top 100 recruit. ESPN, I believe, is the one that had him ranked as the lowest, the lowest ranked player in the class. In the whole class. class, which was just absurd. Right. Uh, so I remember that coming out. And uh, Michael Floyd was ranked really high. Golden Tate was ranked high by some and not by as high by others. But I don't. I think the one thing lacking right now from this group is that surefire, bona fide, like Michael Floyd, um, sort of player. Uh, uh, Golden Tate was like a top twenty-five guy by a couple people. You know, Javon McKinley was a top fifty player by rivals, I believe. Like, there's not that kind of guy in the class yet. Uh, There's nobody in the class yet that ranks as high as like Tobias Merriweather did last year after a senior. Sure. But what I like about the group now, you know, you look at like the, who's on the board, right? It's it's Braylon James who's committed. There's Ronan Hannafin, Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores, Micah Tease, Malik Elzey. It's a very good group. There's, I mean, when Malik Elzey's your sixth best guy on a board, that's a pretty good board. I think there's several five-star upside guys in that group. I gave Ronan Hannafin a five-star upside grade. I think he has one of those. I don't have like Rico Flores ranked super high. I think what would make this receiving core good is the high upside guys 
like Braylon James and Ronan Hannafin. Again, if they were to get that group. And then you have like a high floor guy like Jaden Greathouse. So they kind of balance each other out where sure. Ronan and Braylon are still pretty raw as receivers. Jay, Jay, you know, Jaden Greathouse is just like as polished as you're ever going to see at receiver. And then you have another guy like Rico Flores, who's also sort of like a maybe doesn't have the ceiling of the other guys, but has a higher floor. He's a really polished kid, really good player. Maybe not a super athlete or a super prospect. Man, he's really steady. And I think that's important for this class, Vince, because they need some receivers in this class that can come in and play right away. So between the high upside guys who could maybe play because of just their God-given talent, and then there's the high floor guys, between that group, you're going to have some guys that can play. Obviously, Mike Atiz is a player that's on the board as well. He's a guy that I think fits into that mold a little bit. So I think this is kind of in line with a lot of the prospects they've been getting over the years. The Equinemi St. Browns, the Miles Boykins, the you know, as far as just as prospects, they're not identical prop players, but just as far as a ranking standpoint, you know, that that sure. 75 to 150-ish range, then 150 to 200 with some other guys. So I kind of think I kind of think that's where they're at. And then there's some underrated guys. Like Ronan Hannafin's very underrated, much like Kevin Stefferson was, different players, but just very underrated. From a ranking so, standpoint, yeah. Yeah, so I just think, for me, it's a, it's a very good group. It's a very talented group. Is it an elite group where, you know, you're going to have four of these guys be first-round draft picks in their careers? It, it everything would have to go like perfect for that to happen, right? Vince, I was like the Alabama, right. you know, group from what was it, 2017. I don't see that, right? But I see a group that's very good and is even better when you consider them as a whole, as opposed to maybe some of the individual aspects of it. But a couple of those guys have a chance to be really, really good players coming out of high school. Vince, I would kind of ask you a question. You know, you don't cover recruiting on a day-to-day basis, but coming right. in time. Coming into to Notre Dame, mm-hmm. who were the freshman receivers that you kind of remember being like really excited about? Like guys that you're just like, oh man, I'm really curious to see what this guy can do. Obviously, you know, obviously it was easy for like Michael Floyd, but we'll kind of stick more so in the Brian Kelly era. So we don't have to go back too far. Yeah. Uh, but uh, sure. you know, just some of the guys that you thought you remember watching, like, boy, I think, you know, I think this guy has a chance to be a pretty good player at Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, um, of course, the name are escaping me at the moment, but the kid who ended up transferring down to Florida, right, uh, the, after his freshman year, uh, just this past, what, last two years? Oh, Jordan oh. Johnson. Yeah, Jordan Johnson. I was really excited about him, I, I and I thought that the way everything was handled was just very poorly on multiple fronts, but I just, I just, that was disappointing to me uh, very, very much so. Lorenzo Styles was the kid I was excited about very much. I, I was excited about what he was going to bring to the table. I'm trying to think some other guys more recently. I remember you and I talking about Chase Claypool. I remember yeah. you being because you saw some basketball. I think it was you saw some basketball film of him. Yeah, super athletic. Yeah, you know, just raw though from a football standpoint, coming from Canada and the football that they have up there. So just obviously super raw. But I was super excited about him. I remember when Jeff Samarja came in. And I know that's going a little too far in the way back machine, but since he was somewhat of a local kid, being from Valpo. So I remember being excited about him, not in my wildest dreams that I think he would end up being what he was at Notre Dame. I'm not saying that in any way, but I remember being excited about him because he was a local kid. You know, did you say Samarja? Yeah, it, yeah, from a from a yeah. from a receiving standpoint and a baseball standpoint. Right, because you're a baseball guy. I mean, so right. you would have known about his baseball reputation exactly. as well. So I was really excited about him, and and for the exact same reasons, Golden Tate because he was a baseball right. football guy. So I was excited about him. As well, so if you start talking about Torrey Hunter Jr., I'm going to say you're just completely biased against baseball players. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Torrey Hunter Jr. was more exciting to me from a 
his dad was a baseball stud to him being a football player. Not necessarily, He's still playing pro baseball. Right, but not necessarily him being is, yeah. a baseball player. You know what I mean? So, like, that was uh, – I was not excited about him from the same reasons that I was excited about those other guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked Kevin Austin a lot coming out of high school. I think – Yeah. I think Kevin Austin reminds me – Braylon James, talking about the original question, right, the original Super Chat. I think Braylon James, if I'm going to say, you know, comparisons to players – there aren't a lot of like direct comps, right. but there's one that I think makes a lot of sense. And that is Braylon James and Kevin Austin. If you remember as a, as a junior, Kevin Austin wasn't super highly ranked and Notre Dame beat like Miami and Tennessee and Duke for him. And then he went out that summer and went to different camps, went to the right. opening and just dominated and he kind of blew up into a which top hundred recruit. Yeah, which gets your ranking up. Yeah. Right. And but so I can see like if 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 Braylon does some of that stuff this summer, and I don't know what events he's gonna compete in, if he's gonna compete in any, I have no idea. He may want to take kind of the summer off and just focus on football after track season. You know, I don't know what his plans are. But they're similar body types, similar size. I'd say Braylon's more explosive than Kevin was at the same age. Kevin was a little bit thicker than Braylon is, but very similar prospects. Raw, very high ceilings. Now, they're different personalities. I'm not comparing that. I'm just talking as football prospects. Sure. But I think that's that, that's one where I'd say, I, I to me, Kevin Austin and Braylon James are very comparable as prospects. And, and just from, from skill set plus where they should be ranked, you know, Kevin Austin to me yeah. should have been a, you know, a, a Somewhere between the 50 to 80 range for me. I think Braylon James in that same ad category, just from their God-given ability alone. Yes, they're not polished and all that other kind of stuff, but I don't care about that. I care about what talent are you bringing to the table. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So Randy Hernandez asks, looking at the current board, I count 22 to 24 recruits to commit on guys we are on top or near top of. What's the ceiling on number of kids in the 23 class? So Vince, I've actually kind of done some 
kind of breaking down of this recently and okay. just trying to figure out like, okay, what really is the the number that Notre Dame can get to? Cause I think there's a lot of back and forth about, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? Here's, here's where I'm at on this. Okay. I, I can comfortably say Notre Dame gets to 25 pretty easily. Okay. I don't think it'll be super hard to get to 27. When you look at fifth year guys that they don't have to bring back and you look at guys that are probably going to go pro. So like, I don't count Michael Mayer, as a guy that could, is that's coming back for back, senior right. year. I don't count Cam Hart as a guy that's coming back for a fifth year. I don't count Foskey as coming back for a fifth year. Like, I'm assuming those guys are going to go pro. I didn't count – I don't believe anyone as a potential sixth year. So that's where it could get a little – you know, if they decide sure. they want to bring Justin Adamiola back or if he even wanted to come back or Braden Lindsay, there's some guys that could be eligible for a sixth year that you could look at. I didn't count them. But and and so it, I don't think it'll be super hard to get to 27. I think that's about like if you get past that, that gets a little bit okay. You're gonna have to make some really tough decisions yeah. now, yeah. like some really tough decisions. So that's kind of where I feel comfortable saying 25 to 27 is the range for where I think that they're gonna be in this class, or where they can comfortably get to where they don't have to start basically just pushing guys out of the class because that's what you don't you don't want to get into that situation where it's like okay uh well, then you get not pushing guys out of the class i'm sorry push guys say, off the roster there you go that's that's right that's what, what i meant to say you're gonna have to push yeah. those sixth year options you're gonna have to push hey right. you know this injury is something that we think you need to just take you know the right. the injury exemption all those different things so that kind of stuff gets you to 27 past right. that it's like hey man i know you we were gonna honor your four-year scholarship but just but, so you know we're, yeah. we're not Yeah. And that's where you, Hey, I think maybe the transfer portal is the right place for you when that's where the transfer portal, I guess, can be a benefit to you uh, and to the kid for that matter. Because if the transfer portal wasn't what it is, then that kid would be SOL for a while for a year transferring out. And at least he gets to go play immediately. Right. So the, the problem is, is the only way Notre Dame can really in good faith do that is with kids who are juniors who are graduating. Yeah. Because right. if Notre Dame, if, if Mark, tell you what, a way to kind of um, ruin your goodwill as a coaching staff mm-hmm. is to start forcing out undergraduates before they graduate. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's that that that's where your reputation gets not only on campus, but off. Like, yeah, what's the point of selling a Notre Dame degree when you go there? And if you're not good enough by your it. sophomore year, they're they're running you off. So it gets into really tricky territory after 27, 27. And I feel comfortable with it. And look, there's a lot of kids that like did, like they thought kids were going to transfer this year. Yeah. Nobody left. Didn't. (laughs) Uh, And and, and the reason why is because there's a lot of people excited about playing for coach Freeman. Sure. But after a year, even if you love coach Freeman and the staff, you still at some point have to say, look, here's where I am on the depth chart. And I think that's the unique thing about this off season too, is, not that I expect kids to stop respecting the coaches and the staff and coach Freeman, but right now it's kind of like, it's a whole new staff. We've only had 15 practices. I still got a chance to move my way up the depth chart. That may be gone after next year, especially when the fresh, the entire freshman class shows up. We're like, man, I love playing for coach Freeman and I love playing for coach so-and-so, but right. right. You know, I got a future to worry about too. And you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm graduate, I'm going to graduate in three years. And so I, you know, I got to right. go do this. So I think we'll see some of that as well. So I think Randy, to answer your question, I think twenty-five uh, to twenty-seven is is the is the number where I'm very comfortable with where they're going to be. John A. One, with different linebacker personnel groupings, will we see linebackers in multiple spots? Seems like Kali 
KD can play middle linebacker and will linebacker. Kaiser can play Rover and Will, along with Batejo's ability to play anywhere. So, Vince, with the different personnel groupings, do you think we will see linebackers in multiple spots in 2022? I think that's a very safe bet, to be honest with you, because you know that J.D. has positional flexibility. He started at Will last year. He's going to start at Mike this year. You know that Jordan Batejo has positional flexibility. We know that uh, uh, Kali, Prince Kali, has positional flexibility. All of those guys can play multiple positions. And I think – to make your defense the best that it can possibly be that you want to exploit that on your team. I I think that that is a very underrated thing that coaches absolutely love is positional flexibility. Mm -hmm. I can speak to it from a baseball standpoint. I can speak to it from a football standpoint. If you've got guys that you can put in multiple positions, that just makes you that much stronger because that's one less roster spot you've got to worry about because you Mm -hmm. basically have one guy that can handle two, maybe even three roster spots, essentially. So that makes things so, so much easier on a coaching staff. You're not going to have to shuttle guys in and out at times. You can just keep the same personnel grouping and then do some different things with the defense. Or you shuttle in that group because everybody – because right now – Prince Collie and Jordan Batelho are backups, right? Mm-hmm. So when you bring in this backup group, now they you don't even know what you're getting necessarily when you bring in this backup group because you might put Batelho on the line and you might, you know, slide Prince out to Rover or you know, there's many different things that you can do with these guys. So I think positional flexibility. I think Al Golden is just sitting back there, kind of rubbing his hands together, like the you know that one of the Disney characters, the evil Disney characters, like <laughs> what can I do next? You know, I that's that's where a coach wants to be, and they have guys on this defense for I don't want to say for the first time, but I think the amount of guys that they have with positional flexibility, right. most that they've had in a really long time. So I, I think this is a really good thing. And they're recruiting to that too, Vince, in the current class. I mean, that's something we're seeing, not just positional flexibility on one side of the ball, but positional flexibility on both sides. Absolutely. I think we're going to see even more. I think you're like, even with the D line, you know, like Devin Houston knows three technique, maybe some five technique and three down fronts. I mean, there's not a single kid, even Keon Keeley, who's a pure Viper. He's going to be six, six two sixty when it's all said and done. There's right. no reason that kid can't play big end in the right defense, defensive alignment for Notre Dame. So I think you're correct. I think it's so important, man. And, and as a coach, Vince, it makes game planning so much easier oh, when you can say, hey, look, we can just move this guy over here because he can play over there, and this presents us with a better matchup. I mean, you got to be careful doing too much of that because then Absolutely. you become the, the jack-of-all-trades, masters of none. But there's just certain matchups because you're not moving a guy around because you can match up better against – at least I don't think you should do this. You shouldn't make a drastic move because a guy matches up better against right. Marshall or UNLV. Right. But you do it for Ohio State. You do it Absolutely. for North Carolina, BYU, USC, you know, Clemson, games like that, I think Absolutely. You, you do that for. Because that's a wrinkle. It's a wrinkle that maybe they won't be expecting. And I like right. that when you're playing a top-notch team. When you're Right. You, you shouldn't have to do that against the teams that right. you referenced at the beginning. That that you play your stuff, you play the way you play, and that's what will yeah. win you the game. And you game plan uniquely for that team, uh, right? That's not yeah. what we're saying. We're we're saying is more of a yeah, you could do that, but that you just you don't need to. You know, it, it just it's kind of the way I, I look yeah. at it. Jacob Hayden with a question. He says, Brian, you always mentioned punch and strong hands for offensive linemen. Vince, I'm gonna want your opinion on this too. Yeah. 
which I understand what you mean, but I'm curious who has the strongest hands punch Ooh. that you've seen evaluate. I mean, first of all, let's just get Quentin Nelson out. I was going to say, oh, he stole mine because that was no, no. I mean, like, because that's an easy one, right? Like, let's get him out of the out of the equation because that's numero uno, and let's kind of, you know, let's think about somebody else. I'll say a guy, another guy that I thought had really strong hands was Jeff Fain. I oh, thought Jeff nice. Fain had really powerful because he was not a very big guy. He was. Short, sawed off, not 300 pounds, like really, but he had really strong hands. That's another guy that I would throw into that conversation. That that was the, I mean, your first thought is Quentin Nelson. We, we could have just said Quentin Nelson moved on, but I want to give some respect <laughs> to Jacob's question and just you know get a little bit to it. <laughs> Jeff Fain's another one, Vince. Who are some other guys that kind of pop into your mind as like, oh, wow, that guy could just put his hands on people and just, and just move them. Braxton yeah. Cave had a little bit of that. Yeah, he did. He, he was a little bit – he wasn't a natural 300-pounder, so it wasn't as effective when he was going against, like, the better of the best of the best. But when he was going against some of those other teams, man, he, his he, hands were super strong, Yeah, he, I felt. He, he was yeah. a small body, but he was super, super strong. And that yeah. – I mean, his dad was having him work out, you know, as a fetus in the garage. I mean, that, that's how that was going. Um, and <laughs> pull-ups. Yeah, Coach Summers can can attest to that one. Braxton K has been lifting. He was on mom's ribs, he was like you know, two, doing, yeah. doing pull-ups, yeah. Seriously. Uh, the, the next person, actually, that jumps to my mind uh, is Aaron Banks. I, I yeah. thought he had – and that's why he played so well on the inside to be honest with you. I, I I thought he had real good punch, real, really strong hands. So he came to mind immediately. No question about that. I'm trying to think of some other guys. It was him and Quentin Nelson that immediately came to my head. So that that's all I've got at the moment. But that, it's it's really those – I find that to be with guards more mm-hmm. often, with, with the strong hands. Sure. To, you know, well, it's um, easier to see it, too, because yeah. they engage so quickly. Exactly. That's exactly right. They're not – because McGlinchey had pretty heavy hands. It, yeah. He could shock you. Yeah. It, at tackle, yeah. a lot of times you're not catching, because that's not the right terminology right. to use, but you're receiving a little more right. than you are taking the fight to when you're at guard. So that, I think that's why guards generally stand out a little bit more to me. And center's a lot harder to do that because you're also snapping, so it's hard to sure. get your hands up and, and, and really use the power. Um, but, yeah. So here's a question, Vince. Okay. Who, who has the strongest hands on the current team? I think that's, for me, that's a, a relatively easy answer of the returners. I mean, we'll returners. see how the freshmen are. I mean, to me, it's Blake Fisher. I think he's got yeah, very well, powerful hands. Yeah, he's got very that, heavy hands. And it's not just – he doesn't just throw his weight around. Blake has right. strong hands, right? Like really strong hands. And, and actually, that's a spot where I'd like to see Joel get better uh, yeah. if we're talking about things that guys can improve on. I, I think Joel's uh, violent hands can get better. Sure. I, I think he's a technician, and right. so he's a little bit more – technique savvy which is why what made him successful as a true which freshman. makes sense when you're a freshman and you absolutely. don't have that that, that weight room strength that other guys have yeah, absolutely yeah. but i think that's a spot where he can grow and get better is just the violent hands and things of that nature and i think the other thing too vince is that's also what's so encouraging about what he can become yeah, absolutely he's a pretty good player in seven games last year and he doesn't have that grown man strength yet because he's yes. not he's 18 he was 18 right. at the time right like absolutely he's still just kind of a big kid yeah. So that's kind of where you start getting excited. Like, you know, Joe, Joe Wald is not at his full potential. And that's the thing with Blake Fisher, too, is we think he's so big and strong. It's like, ah, you know, he's just – Blake's got a lot of room to continue to improve as well. And yeah. and so that's partly why we're so excited about what this tackle group can be is because we, we don't think that they've reached their full potential no. at this point in time. No. 
And if they or have anything close, true freshman, that's that's actually a problem. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I think that happens a lot. That's why I think yeah. offensive line and quarterback, I would say the two positions that I think get most missed. Yeah, from a recruiting rankings, because I think a lot of times they focus too much on the guy that's just the biggest and the strongest dude in the room. Sure. And they don't realize like that dude is maxed out. He's which not going to get any do. better, right. which is easy to do when a guy is just absolutely dominating high school. So you have to take into account who they're playing against and, and the size and all of those different things. It's it's very easy to get enamored with an offensive lineman who's just tossing little dudes around. For mm-hmm. sure. I get that. We got a super chat, Vince, and I'm going to answer the first part. Okay. And have you answer the second part. All right. So, Toe Jam 1992, thank you very much for the super chat. We appreciate that. Happy Friday, IB family. I may have missed it, but things seem quiet with Monroe Freeling. What's up with him? I'll answer that first part. I'm not sure if you're on the message board or not, Toe Jam, but we had an update on him on the message board. We've actually had a couple updates on him on the message board. So, there's only things went well. During his visit, there's some other things going on that aren't related to Notre Dame that, you know, are, are making that recruitment a little bit interesting. People are going to read into that. I promise you it's not what you're reading into it. It's not an NIL thing. Just just leave it there and, and we'll address it when it's appropriate. But Notre Dame's still recruiting Monroe Freeling. He still likes Notre Dame. They still want him in the class and his his path is the same. So like Notre Dame a lot going into the visit. Likes Notre Dame a lot coming out of the visit. Still plans on taking more visits. Is going to go into the fall. Really, nothing's changed. That's the reason there hasn't been a ton of updates. There's a couple little things that are interesting, and we're trying to figure some things out. You know, so that's what I'm referring to. Like, okay, what's the validity to this or that thing? And that's a lot of just the rumor mill, which is why we haven't reported on it because that's not what we do. So that's what I'm saying. Don't run with what I just said and make it seem like oh, there's some issue. You know what I'm saying, but it's just really about nothing's changed, yeah. really. You know, he, he's going to be patient with his recruiting process. And that's just kind of just kind of the way that it goes. And so the second part is also, Vince, is for you. What is the best word or phrase you would use to describe the Tennessee baseball team? Keeping in mind, this is a family friendly, family friendly show. <laughs> I, I would say, number one, I, I will say that they are super talented. Mm-hmm. They're super, super talented. I mean, they. They had over 150 home runs during the season. Okay, True. that you're you're super talented when you can do that. Their pitching staff was unbelievable. That the kid uh, that was pitching in Game Three was a true freshman. You know, and, and granted, Notre Dame countered with a true freshman as well. But they are deep and they are super talented. But I think that Tennessee fans came up with the best word to describe themselves, and it's classless. I mean, I, yes, they, they are a super talented team, but they do not handle themselves in a manner in which I would be proud to be a fan of that team. So, so very talent. He said, "Phrase your 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 phrase would be a a group of very talented, classless people." Yeah, led by led, led by a, a guy in charge. classless dude. I mean that yeah. it came when Head he coach. Came. It came when he came, yeah. and to his credit, he's able to recruit the heck out of sure. things and get really good players in there. Sure. But then he just turns them into classless guys, jerks. Yeah. I don't. I'm sorry. That's not how I teach my kids to play the game. It's not a team that I would want to root for. And that's because there's having fun. Like this thing, it's just not about having fun. It's not kind of study more. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. There's having fun. And then there's just, you're a D bag. I will say this. If you're going to come up with a shirt idea, you better flip and win. (laughs) Exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, and, And who, 
who looks at a nickname like classless and is like, let's run with that. Yeah. Let's embrace that. I think Thank that speaks you. volumes to yes to this whole thing. That's exactly right. And that's, no I think that's the most it. disappointing part as I was tuning in to watch that game the game one and they're zooming in on those guys in the stands wearing those shirts. It's like, could you imagine? Here's the fun. Could you imagine? So, like, they're like, "Oh, it's funny," you know. Like, could you imagine if it was Notre Dame fans that came up with that and idea? I thought it they was at first. I thought it was yeah. at first. I was like, "Who are yeah. these jokers that think that's funny?" And then all of a sudden, I realized I think it's funny. Fans, I think it's funny. I mean, look, they are classless, right? So no. it's no different than Catholics versus convicts. If you don't want people to call you out for being, you know, for being class classless, and here's a thought: yeah. don't act like that. Exactly. Right. They, they brought it on themselves, and they embrace right. it. Right. The part I think I don't like the most. But. Real quick, uh, real quick, some breaking news. Uh, Jack Larson, the 2024 tight end, just uh, tweeted that he will be making his decision next Friday at 4 p.m. He'll be picking between Notre Dame, Michigan, North Carolina, NC State, and Clemson. So we will now have two shows next Friday. There you go. So there you go. Yes. Yes, Rick, there you go. Down. There's no question about that. Very, very nice. So uh, we'll just leave that there. Rob Osgo with super chat. Thank you, Rob, very, very much. Thanks, thanks you guys for everything you all y'all are doing with this recruiting weekend coming up and last week's events. How confident are you with the recruits coming soon, committing soon? Thanks again. Go Mountain Dew Crew. I like that. I like that. that Mountain good. Dew Crew. That's good. I, I feel Notre Dame's in a great place. I, I do. I mean, there's some kids that maybe I don't feel quite as strong about that I didn't necessarily feel super strong about before. I think. I think for the most part, with the guys that have visited the last week and then now guys coming in, I think Norm's in a great place. I think you've got three kids for sure that are going to be making decisions the first week of July. I'd be surprised if Notre Dame doesn't get at least two of them, Yeah, to be honest with you. I think there's a better chance they get three than one of that group. I think there's a couple other players that are going to be making visits. I, I put this on the board. There's a, another receiver that's going to be taking a couple more visits that I expect his recruitment to wind down pretty quickly after that in decisions. But, you know, look, I, I think it's going to be a very busy end of June, early July. I, re- I really Early to mid-July, I think this class is going to really take off. I think the fact that they do have 15 kids means that they can put – not pressure, but it's kind of pressure. Yeah, it is a little bit. On, on guys, hey, look, we need right. to know where we're at, right? right. We can't afford to miss on this class. So, um, yeah, that, I, I, it, it's going to – I'm very confident that – Notre Dame is in a position to really close. I think the the bigger concerns are, you know, obviously once numbers get to a certain point, like offensive line, we asked about Monroe Freeling. Would Notre Dame take Charles Jagasaw and Monroe Freeling? Absolutely. Every source we've talked to has said, look, is, is it going to be hard? Yeah. Will we Would we make it work for guys like Jagasaw and Freeling? You betcha. Mm-hmm. But does it mean that they're going to get six? That's going to be tougher. Sure. And I think that's where some of the the phrasing that people have put out there is, is in my opinion, I'll be honest, a little bit irresponsible to say that they're not going to take six. That's not accurate. If you want to say it's going to be hard to get six, because once you get five, like let's say Monroe Freeling commits today, it's not going to happen. I'm just saying. It would be harder to convince Charles Jagasaw to jump on board. Would they take him? Heck yes. If Charles Jagasaw commits in a week or two, just hypothetically speaking, could would they still take Monroe Freeling? Absolutely. Is it going to be harder because you now have five in the class? Absolutely. And, and so that's just the reality of it. Yeah. So the, the concerns are more that, like, hey, you'd like to get this other guy, but with what you already have in the class, it's going to be a little harder to do so. 
I think that I think there's some guys, and we've put this on the board. We had a big receiver uh, intel piece the other day, just where things are is from. Every, I mean, talking to sources on both sides of all these things, kind of where Notre Dame stands with with Ronan Hannafin, with Jaden Greathouse, with Rico Flores, with Micah Tees are the four that we that we mentioned and we broke down about where things stand. And so that you'll have that that's on the the, the message boards. You have to be a member to check that out. But uh, I, I still feel like. They've done a very good job so far with these visits. Agreed. Very good job. Now they just got to keep going. And it's look, it's closing time, right, Vince? I mean, that right. at the end of the day, that's the deal. And that's close. July's a dead period, right? I mean, that's why all the camps and everything are in June, and July is the month off. And so these guys are going to go home and they're going to evaluate all of their visits and everything. And that's when you're going to see commitments made, or you're going to see them push them into the fall. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty much the option at this point, right? So I, I feel real good about where Notre Dame is in a lot of places, uh, you know, based on my chats with you and Ryan. And and let's just say it's good to be a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> we have a super chat for Frank G. Happy Friday, IB Nation. Can you name a few past recruits who signed elsewhere that you thought were the biggest misses by Notre Dame? Like whenever somebody brings this up, the first guy that I always talk about is Aurelius Ben. That's always like the first guy that pops into my head. Illinois or something like that. Illinois. There were some some dealings behind the scenes that resulted in that, but he wanted to go to Notre Dame. He had been like, I I can't remember if he was committed or not. I don't think he was actually publicly committed or not, but Notre Dame thought they're going to get him. And and I I believe if I remember correctly, he was in the same class as as uh, um Golden Tate, I believe. That one was a while ago. Yeah, so it would have been Golden Tate, Duval Kamara, and Aurelius Ben. That would have been a sick receiver a class. good recruiting class. A really sick yeah. receiver class. Yeah. Now, here's the question I've always followed up. But if you get Aurelius Ben in 07, do you get Michael Floyd in 08? Because it's a very similar type of player. They, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But that was a big miss. Remember they had Greg Little committed, and he flipped to North Carolina. Remember that. The Eddie Vanderdose thing pops in my head. Ronald Darby was a bad miss by Notre Dame because he they had had him committed forever and dropped the ball. The corners coach at the time basically just stopped talking to him because he thought that he was in the bag the whole time. Florida State still trying to flip him, and then they then when they when they finally sped things up to like, oh wow, this kid might leave. That it was a little, it was too late. Yeah, right. And that was that was a bad one. Like that was a guy like, oh, I cannot believe that you missed that guy. Like. Could you imagine like Ronald Darby on that 2012, 2013, you know, 2014 teams, maybe even the 2015 team, maybe, uh, probably is a three, three year guy. But if he was a four year guy at Notre Dame, he'd have been the corner on that 2015 team. You'd had Cole Luke as your nickel. You know what I mean? In, in 2015, uh, that would have made an already talented team. Actually, that might not have been good because that might have made it more mad because once Brian Van Gorder ruined him. It would have made him even more mad, made us more mad at him. But Ronald Darby was a big fence. Like to have it, it wasn't even just like you had you had a lead. You had him committed for months and then lost him at the end. And why? Not because he got paid off, not because he was promised any, it's because you didn't talk to him. You didn't recruit him. You didn't stay engaged. The head coach didn't get involved until it was way too late. Yeah. To find out what was going on. Like that that was just that was a bad one. And those, really are just, those are just work ethic issues. Right. You know what I mean? That's what I think annoys me the most with some of these misses is just work ethic issues. It's yeah. like if you did just talk to the man, if you just kept up communication, mm-hmm. it'd be a completely different story. Right. 
It, somebody put in here, uh, I just want to put it, Randy, Randy Moss was a miss. It wasn't a miss. It wasn't it was, a miss, yeah. It was a non-take. He, yeah. He would well, have come. Yeah. I mean, he would have come. They the just, football team did nothing wrong with that right, one. Right, Nothing. They, they just couldn't take yeah. it. Yeah. Now, some of the others have said misses uh, in regards to guys that, like Luke Keekley. that was a different kind of miss, in my view, because they didn't miss him. They misevaluated him. And the funny thing is that this question is being asked today is that Ryan is actually working on a, a piece for the message board. It's going to be a message board only story Ooh. where he's going to talk about some of the biggest misevaluations of the last 10 to 15 years. For example, the fact that Notre Dame tried to recruit Ezekiel Elliott to play corner. He wanted to play running back. He liked Notre Dame a lot. He might've picked Notre Dame in the end. Maybe he doesn't, but he, they'd have had a really good shot to land him with Tony Alford. If the oh, staff yeah. would have been willing, cause it was the, the head coach and the defensive staff really liked him at corner. Obviously, Tony liked him at running back. Obviously. Uh, but uh, that was a big one, right? Misevaluation. I found my notes from the Irish invasion when George Karloftis was here, and I wrote like raw, but you know, if he figures it out, could be a really good player. And I remember talking to the Notre Dame staff afterwards, and they're like, yeah, we don't like him. We didn't play. See it. Yeah. Huge misevaluation. They recruited Jordan Addison as a DB. Right, the guy that won the Bolitnikoff Award is the best receiver in the country last year, and the Keekley is a great one too because, like, he would have picked, he would have crawled to Notre Dame, and you'd have had him and Manti Teo side by side for three years. Yeah. They were in the same class, and but but John Tenuta thought that Dan Fox was a better prospect, and that's no disrespect to Dan Fox because Dan Fox was a solid player at Notre Dame, and he played a lot on a team that went undefeated because of the defense. But but man, uh, holy moly, like. Could you imagine Manti and Luke Keekley playing side by side for three to four years? Boy, that'd have been that'd have been a lot of fun, Vince. Mm. Been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Omar Hunter was one that somebody just mentioned. That was a big miss, just because of the standpoint of you know you had him committed for so long and then lost him late and all those kind of things. So there's been some. There's also been some big surprises. I mean, I, I'm surprised no one is. Maybe somebody's already said it, Vince. Maybe it's down there, but. Lorenzo Booker's one that a lot of older folks like myself tend to point to, like, because you just thought you were going to get him at the end of the process as well. So, John A1S in modern defenses, has the outside linebacker become more impactful than the inside linebacker? I think it depends on the defense, John. Yeah. Right. Like, to me, it's like if you're like, if you technically Will Anderson's an outside linebacker at Alabama, that's, right? That's true. Even I see him as like a defensive end, but yeah. How he's used, right? right. Yeah. Right. And and it also depends on your definition of impactful, to be honest right. with you, because a good middle linebacker isn't necessarily going to make a bunch of flash plays. He's just going to do his job in the right. middle. He's going to plug holes. He's going to do what he does in his triangle of of influence right there, right? And an outside linebacker is going to make a lot of flash plays. They're going to have sacks. They're going to have tackles behind the line of scrimmage in open space. They you know what I mean? Like I think you got flash plays out here and you've got just doing your job on the inside to mm -hmm. very generalize it. But like, it just depends on what your definition of impactful is. There's not much I would trade for an in, for a middle linebacker that's just going to do his job and make your defense better. Like that yeah. is a really impactful piece to your defense as a whole. But again, it's not going to be those flashy plays most of the time. Right, agree. I, I still think a, a, I still think a good, a, a really good middle linebacker is still an incredibly impactful player on your defense, yeah. production yes. wise and leadership wise. I mean, yeah. I, I think Vince's point about the flashy stuff is very on point. I just, I just feel like the outside linebackers get a lot of the love. I think the NFL draft has 
has de-emphasized the inside linebacker position because the NFL is de-emphasizing inside linebacker position. Sure. But in college football, that's still a way more important position than it is in the NFL. Like running back. I think running back is a way more important position in college football than than it is in the NFL. I've always have only ever said I don't think you need a quote-unquote five-star to, to be great at running sure. back. But I think that it's still a very important position in college football. Because teams of college football still run a lot more than they run in the NFL. And, and so I think an inside, especially a Mike, is still an incredibly important position. Yeah. Because here's the deal. If you're not good up the middle, your edge players aren't having as big of an impact. Because we're exactly. just going to run it right at you. Exactly. If you have a Mike linebacker that can't cover, I'm going to RPO and quick game you all day. I'm going to do things right. to get your linebackers running sideways to get my backs in space against them. And we're going to do damage. I can negate that. Right. So I, st- I, I think I – think it's become a how about this, John? Vince, I think you're gonna like this. It's become a sexier position. There you go. I don't think it's a more impactful I like that. position. I like that. I in most defenses. Now, in a three-four defense, an outside linebacker is gonna be different. But like in Notre Dame, they don't really have I mean, they're only outside linebackers like the rover. Yeah. And you know, so that's my that's my two cents. Very good question, John. Blaine Tiller asks, We'll uh we'll finish with more top ten wins this year top 10 teams this year, the SEC West or the Big Ten East? Well, I think it's going to be the SEC West, Vince, just because of the way that that late league gets overhyped every year. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt anyway, yeah. right? You could have a three-loss SEC West team that still makes top 10. You will not have a Big Ten East team getting in the top 10 with three losses. And that's not that's not assumption. It's, that's happened. Right. I mean, we've seen that happen several right. times. So that that's why I would answer that. What do you? I'm pulling up the teams because I just I don't know the yeah. team, uh, the division like, well. The SEC West is Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, Mississippi oh, State, it. Mississippi, and Arkansas. The Big mm-hmm. Ten East. I mean, it really the only teams that matter. It's it's Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn, Penn State, State are really the only potential top ten teams in the East. Yeah, because Penn State, Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, they're not going to be. In Penn it. State could, but but I mean, the rest, yeah, Maryland, Rutgers. Who's the who's the seventh in the East? Is it Indiana? Indiana, it's Indiana. IU. Yeah, it's okay. IU. I yeah, I the big the Big Ten East is top heavy, right? I mean, they're yeah. they're very top heavy with Michigan, Ohio State. You can throw Michigan State in there, maybe even Penn State. So four out of the seven, you have that possibility, mm-hmm. right? In the SEC West, you've got Alabama, you got A and M. Then you, I don't want to say you drop off, but then you've got Ole Miss, you got LSU, you got more possibilities, I think, in the West. That's a really good question because I think, I think it, last year the East was, I actually think the Big Ten yeah. East had more last year. That's what I'm saying. I think it could go either way. But it was a down, but this is what we said. It was a down year in the SEC. Yeah. Said that, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that one's interesting That yeah. to me. That one's really interesting because you've got new coaches yeah. in the SEC West as well. Yeah, it's going to be. I think the question the question would be this, Vince: Is do you think Michigan's going to still be a top ten team? Right. And do you think one of Michigan's? Do you think either Michigan State's going to not fall off, or will Penn State rise up? Now, yeah. here's the thing that could help Penn State over Michigan State is if Penn Michigan State Penn State has a chance to earn an SEC West victory because they travel to Auburn. Okay. So if they go down to Auburn and beat Auburn, and they finish the year ten and two. Yeah. Penn State's going to have a shot to be in the top 10 team. For sure. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But the, the other thing that hurts the, the Big Ten West or the Big Ten East, Vince, is the schedules this year aren't exactly uh, 
murderers row. Yeah. Like here's <laughs> here's Michigan State's non-conference. Yeah. Western Michigan, Akron, and at Washington. Now, in their defense, when they scheduled Washington, they were pretty good, but they're not good now. Right. Michigan's schedule this year is, is embarrassing. Their non-conference is Colorado State, Hawaii, and Connecticut. If Michigan is a two-loss team, they do not deserve to be in the top ten because of that flipping schedule. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd probably say the West. If we're talking how the media will vote, if we're yeah. talking what we think of the top ten, yeah. that's a that's a much better conversation at that point in time. I'd still Agreed. probably go SEC West because I, I think too. there's going to be, I think. I think a is going to be better than they were last year. I still think they're overrated, but that's the whole point. They could be 10 and three and finish in the top 10. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's just the reality of it. The question that I'll have though, Vince is take the, that feeling aside, looking at the teams, who's the third top 10 sec West team this year. Well, and that's, the issue. That, that's yeah. the issue for me because you figure Alabama and A&M, right. Is that what, is that what a chance? Right. Uh, and that, so then it's, Probably Ole Miss. I mean, Arkansas is on the way up, but are they? Yeah, are they top ten? Yet? You know, Ole Miss I, finished eleventh last year. They were the second team in the West. I don't see LSU being that this year. No. I don't, and so Ole Miss would be the next best option to me. Yeah, unless A and M is as good as everybody says they're going to be, but I just don't see it. There was only three SEC West teams that were ranked last year at the end of the season. Really? So, like, my initial emotional reaction was the West because of all the years of overhyping. But now that we practically walk through it, I don't know if there's going to be enough good teams in yeah. the West. Because, like, Auburn's – I don't see Auburn. I think the Auburn's yeah. going to be mediocre. I don't mm-hmm. think Mississippi State's going to be there. Ole Miss, it depends on how quickly Jackson Dart can get going. Yeah. Quarterback. Because, they, I mean, they, they lost a couple pretty good players. Ole Miss didn't lose a bunch. But the guys they lost were, you know, pretty important players for them last year. So, it's a, it's a really good question. Really good question. Jacob Hayden says this also, as far as yesterday's show, I believe talking about the leaders of certain fan clubs, I think Brian should be Benjamin Morrison. Well, the question was current players. Correct. And I get, I mean, do you count Benjamin Morrison as a current player yet? I mean, I know he's reported for summer school, but you know, you, you could do that. But yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to say he's part of the current team, then I'll own that one. Yeah. I'll <laughs> own that one. Yeah. I think it's it. excellent. And there's not a lot of people that there's not a lot of people that are as high on him as I am. And I, 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 I think we can all agree that we all hope that I'm right. Because if I'm right, he's going to be really good. Yeah, no doubt about that. Really, really good. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John A1 with a question here. Since Marcus Freeman has arrived, 
linebacker recruiting has required a top-rated linebacking core. How imperative is it for the t- linebackers in 2022 to have an impact on the field to gain NFL interest? I don't – you know, Vince, I, what are your thoughts on that? So basically what he's saying is, does the line – you know, what level of like, – how important is it for the linebackers in 22 to gain NFL interest to continue recruiting linebacker the way that they have? I don't – I mean, is it helpful? Sure. But I don't think it's necessary. I really don't because Marcus Freeman is that good of a recruiter. I don't right. for twenty two. We're talking about for this. Yeah, for this I think year. I think team success is is more important than positional success. To be honest with you, and yeah, again, is it helpful? Yeah, of course, it's helpful. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. But I don't think it's critical. Are you referring to short term Vince or long term or both? Both. Because I think long term, I'll disagree with you. I think long term, I think that's part of the issue that Notre Dame has a corner. Okay. I, I think, I think to a degree, kids care a lot about team success. That's a huge priority. And I don't think you have to produce a bunch of first round picks to be there, right? But I think you need to have some level of success at that position. The reason I don't think it's imperative in 2022 is because Notre Dame has had recent success at linebacker. You know, kids know who Jalen Smith is still. Sure. Kids know who Jeremiah Wusukormo is. You know, obviously, Drew Tranquil's starting a starting linebacker in the NFL. Notre Dame can point to some recent linebackers that are, you know, been in high NFL picks that are good football players. I would say if, if in the next three years that doesn't start to change, then that could hurt recruiting. Yeah. But I think I think there is a, a notion to, like, what's one thing's a question the quarterback? Well, why, Notre Dame hasn't produced a first-round yeah. quarterback since Brady Quinn in 2007, right? Like, you know, do I want to go there? Do I want to go over here? Well, this guy's produced five first-round picks in that period of time or something like that, or three or whatever the case may be. So I think it can hurt, but it's only going to hurt if it's a long period of not getting there. Like, Notre Dame hasn't had a cornerback taken in the first round since, what, Tom Carter in 1993, they haven't had a second round draft pick at corner, I believe, since Alan Rossum in like 99, 2000, somewhere around there. I forget when Alan Rossum's career ended. You know, like Kavari Russell's a third round pick. They haven't had a lot of those. I mean, they haven't had high picks at corner. I think that's something that affects yeah, corner. Okay. But that's over a long period of time, yeah. is my point. But I also think this, too, Vince, is the flip side is team success, if it's really good can lead to you breaking down that barrier to position that maybe you've otherwise struggled at. Like, hey, we went to the playoff last year and without this, and that's why we need you, right? So I, I do right. think right. I do think that team success can be the thing that helps overcome those struggles. But eventually you have to, you have to be able to show that you can put guys in the NFL. Marcus Freeman even said it. We got to show that we can – we have top-notch education, which we do. We have to show kids that, that we can put kids in the NFL – and we have to show kids that we can win championships. Right. And so, um, but for 2022, I don't think it's important because I think they've had enough recent success. I mean, guys, in the last 10 years, well, it, it changes now because Manti, now we're we're kind of past that. 2022 is going to be past the 10-year mark when Manti was the Heisman runner-up. Yeah. But we're, co- yeah. like as of last year, they had three Buckus Award winners in 10 years. Right. Nobody else could match that. That's massive. When right. you put that on paper, when you put that in right. a recruiting visit, like right. I think it would actually surprise a lot of recruits, to be honest with you. I think it would surprise a lot of Notre Dame fans. I don't even think they realize that when you say it. You know what I mean? Right. But 
that's huge. I mean, right. look, we've had the best linebacker three different times in, in, in a decade. decade. Right. Like that's pretty impressive. And you can still say, you can still say two for several years. Absolutely. You know, for the next, at least three years, you can still say two because right. Jalen won his and was it 2015. So you have through the 2024 season that that matters. And then of course, Jeremiah Wusu Kormo won it a year ago. Like, well, you know, the 2020 right, season. Right. So that helps as well. That helps. Notre Dame 2164. If Notre Dame's O line is back to form this year, I believe Chris Tyree will show everyone why he is such a special talent. It's funny he's saying this, Vince. I'm literally like three quarters of the way through an article kind of talking about this a little bit. Nice. But he says, if Notre Dame's O line is back to form this year, I believe Chris Tyree will show everyone why he is such a special talent. That young man has vast untapped potential. I feel like I'm in the minority, though. Not in this show, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> not. I think on this it's show. more of just the vocalness. I think I think sports is a lot like society, events where it tends to be the people with the negative emotions that are the loudest. Yeah, for sure. And make people think that that's what most people think. And then you're like, oh, that poll came out. That's apparently not what most people think. Um, so I, I would say that I think it's Twitter is that way. Twitter's not real life. Twitter does not speak for most people. I think I've seen like what 10 to 15% of people are even on Twitter. And you know, it's even less than that that are active users. But the people that are on Twitter can be influenced and think, boy, that's what a lot of people think. I think, Vince, there's a lot of vocal minority people who are very down on Chris Tyree. I think I think I understand it to a degree because he didn't play well last year, but it just goes back to that whole recency bias thing, in my opinion. So that's my stance on him. Yeah, I, I think he's just forgotten about for for whatever reason because of the success that Kyron Williams had. I don't I, I don't know why he's forgotten about, but I remember when he was getting recruited, how friggin' fired up I was about him and and what he was going to be able to do and all of these different things. And a couple of injuries have, have derailed him a little bit. But man, when you see him busting down the sidelines, whether it's a kickoff return or a long run or whatever, guys, I. He's got a ton of untapped potential. Yeah, even last year, Vince, with all the issues he had, he had a 96-yard kick return that changed the game game around. He had a 55-yard touchdown against Toledo that turned a 17-16 game into a 24-16 game, which proved impactful because Toledo right. went down and scored to make it 24 to 22. Uh, you know, and and then they ended up scoring to go up 29-24. Well, if they don't get that touchdown, I mean, let's just say they only get a field goal out of that drive. Notre Dame loses to Toledo. Right. 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 That was a huge play. Yeah. And then, of course, he had the, the long touchdown run against Oklahoma State. So even with the injuries and the poor line, you know, the kids still had some pretty impressive moments exactly. last year. Here's an interesting one, Vince. I'm going to let you answer this one because I just I'm a quarterback. So my answer would be no one okay, uh, or everyone. But here's the one for, I'll ask you. John A1 asks, which Notre Dame player would you not want to take on in an Oklahoma drill past or present? <laughs> Uh, I was a little wide receiver, so okay. I, I wasn't exactly stepping up to take on defensive and offensive linemen or linebackers, believe me. Uh, who would I – I mean – So look at it from two ways. If you're the ball carrier, number yeah, one, yeah. and then the other side is if you're a defensive – because the Oklahoma okay. drill is two linemen right. and then a tackler and a ball carrier, right? Right, right. So right. look at it from both – if you were the ball carrier, who else? Who would you least okay. want to see at linebacker? So, and if you're a defensive lineman, who would you least want to go against on the offensive line? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so if I'm – if I'm a linebacker, I don't want to go up against Jerome Bettis because I feel sure. like I would be dead. Okay. I, so so what's, the flip, what's the flip of that? So, I agree flip, with you on that. What's the yeah, flip of that? Flip side of that, 
I mean, good grief, gracious, how many linebackers so, I want to – I mean, Jalen Smith would have killed me. Manti Teo would have killed me. Yeah, not, yeah I get you. Who's I mean, the one that most – you would not want to take the most? I think Manti's a good one, obviously. Yeah, basically, I'm going with a middle linebacker, a guy that's just going to thump you. So I'll right. stick with Manti because he was a middle linebacker, big body, pretty big. downhill. Like, I'll pass on that. So, yeah, I'll take him. Now, if we're right. going offense and defensive line, I don't want to go. Get, I'm yeah. not going up against Q as a defensive that's, lineman. That's one, yeah. That would not be good. His violent hate be like one hit, bam, down, sure. I'm out. And then defensive line. Man, there's only one answer for that one, buddy, for me. Okay, what do you got? If I'm playing offensive line, who's the defensive lineman I don't want to go against is Bryant Young. Mm. I mean, because he can embarrass me one of two ways. He could just destroy me physically or – with his, and then I'm like falling flat in my face into the ground. So I'm either getting destroyed or embarrassed. One of the two is happening. Oh, that's great. So yeah, that's BY good. would be my pick for that. That's one. good. No, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Somebody said to it. I think that's a that's an interesting one. That's a that's a but like the tall guys are not necessarily the ones that would you know I feel like I could maybe at least get underneath his pads, not get if I was an offensive lineman. I mean, as a quarterback, I'd get murdered by everyone. Right, but if I was a, like a if I was an offensive lineman, I think you know six six guys like that aren't necessarily elite Oklahoma drill guys, right? Like elite football players, but Oklahoma drill guys six it's different. Six guys it's a different kind of skill. Line, yeah. yeah, different yeah, skill. I think so. Like I would, I would in an Oklahoma drill, I'd rather go against Keon Keeley than Jason Moore or Devin Houston. Just the nature of the drill. Right, and a one on one pass rush. I want no part of Keon. I'm pulling a hamstring on the way over to the drill. You know what I mean? Just ah. a different thing. It's a different, you know, because Keon's so tall and long, the Oklahoma drills is not necessarily geared towards that mm-hmm. body type. Right. Where Jason Moore is more used to playing inside. So even though he's similar right. to Keon in height and length, it's just a different style of play. He might be more guilt right. geared towards that. It's kind of where I'm coming from on it. Okay. Blaine Tiller asks, who becomes the number two tight end in 2022? Mitchell Evans, Kevin Bauman, maybe a freshman surprise. I think that people continue to leave out a guy that should absolutely be part of this list all the time. You completely eliminated Kane Barong from this list of options, and I don't think you should. I'm not saying he will be the guy, but, I mean, he, he he's, he's going to compete for it. There. Yeah, He's going to compete for it, no doubt. I I like Kevin Bauman. If I'm going to make a prediction as to who the number two tight end is going to be, I'll, I'll take Kevin Bauman uh, today. We'll see what happens after I see what he's up to in fall camp. But um, if I was a betting man, I would take Bauman as the number two tight end. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be him. I don't think he separated enough. And I mean, I don't think he separated at all in the spring. And then he had a little bit of an injury. Should be fine. I was hurt. I was told that wasn't as bad as they originally anticipated. So that's good. I, I just feel like by the time the season starts, I think it's going to be Mitchell Evans okay. or Kane Barong. And by the end of the season, I won't be shocked if it's Eli Raritan or Holden Stace. I won't be shocked if it's them by the end of the season. As part of like a three-man rotation, like with a Barong or an Evans or something like that. I just – I felt like this was a big spring for Kevin Bauman to really separate, and he didn't. Yeah. And so I worry about it. But at the end of the day, if we're having a conversation about Kevin Bauman not being good enough to earn a number two or number three role. The other guys are really so, good. Yeah, because he's a good football player. He's a good yeah. football player. Tavis McKay says, if you could put any coaching staff since the 80s with any team, what would that be and why? Like any coaching staff 
for Notre Dame. For Notre, let's stick to Notre Dame. Okay. So let's go. Any any Notre Dame coaching staff since the '80s with any Notre Dame team? What would that be? I mean, the biggest thing is Vince. I'm not taking a Notre Dame team that won a title. I'd pick one that didn't win a title and then put a great coaching staff with it. It's like 2015 team. Right. Right. So here's the funny thing is like the audit, these answers, I'm taking the 1988 coaching staff and I'm putting them with the 2015 team. That wouldn't have worked. Who's running the triple op? Who's running the option on that team? That was exactly what I was going to say. The offensive staff can stay in the eighties because that's just not going to (laughs) work. I'll take a different defensive staff, but not, offense yeah if i felt the offensive staff was willing to adapt to modern times then i would say sure right because i mean i always want lou holtz as my head coach right? right i mean that's the thing is if i knew i was going to have lou holtz as my head coach i might i might be okay living with it because you know what you start thinking about it, like that 2015 line it could run loose power offense <laughs> you know what i mean like that or here's a great here's a here's but here's the closest thing you know i say all that to set this one up but if there was a team a modern team that i think could have won with Lou's offense, it's the it's the 2017 squad with Brandon Wimbush basically running the right. offense. That That's you know what point. I mean. Uh, so that'd be very interesting. But honestly, uh, let's just kind of take it. So that that would be my answer. I mean, I think the right. 88 staff because you had great defensive coordinator Barry Alvarez. Right. You know, you obviously had one of the best offensive line coaches in the business, and Joe Moore. You know, so I think that would probably. I'm trying to remember who some of the other coaches were on that team, Vince. Uh, so just give me a second to pull that up. Yeah, I couldn't tell uh, you. Yeah, Jim Strong was the offensive coordinator. George Stewart was the linebackers coach. I don't have the full list. Ah, hold on a second. I do have the full list. Give me a second, everybody. Oh, he's going into the archives. I am. <laughs> I am. All right. So let's go look and see who the coaching staff was for Notre Dame in 1988. So what what are you what are you looking through out of curiosity? Like what archives? That's none of your dang business, and I'll thank you to stay on my personal affairs. <laughs> <laughs> name that movie, Vince. Come on, you can name no, that movie. Ace Ventura. That is a great. Remember response. the scene at the end uh, when he had when he was chewing all that gum. Now, there's a chance I'm going to get fired here, but I've never seen that movie. Hold on a second, everybody. I got to remove Vince from the stream. Vince Vince D'Addario is no longer with Irish. I, I, I was taking that um, chance. You need to you need to correct that mistake soon, Vince. You have until next Friday's show. Oh gosh, uh, okay. To correct that mistake <laughs> and watch that movie. I'm so ashamed of you right now. All I know. Okay, is Dan so you had okay. Here you go. So you had uh, offensively. Yeah, Joe Moore and T- Tony Yelovich were offensive line coaches. So Joe Moore coached tackles and tight end, and Tony Yelovich coached centers and guards. That's impressive. Yeah. Jim Strong was your OC and running backs coach. Pete Cordelli was the receivers coach. Don't know a lot about him. Uh, John Palermo was a D-line coach. John Palermo was known as a really good D-line coach. And, of course, Barry Alvarez was your defensive coordinator. And then Chuck Heater was your defensive backs coach. So that was a really good coaching staff. Really good coaching staff. So, I mean, the the easy answer would be to take that staff or the 89 staff and put right. it with a modern team if you could then say that staff would coach a modern system. Because Barry Alvarez was running a 5-2 back then, right? Like, you know, you'd think that great coaches would evolve with the times, much like Nick Saban has, right? So if we were assuming they would have evolved with the times, sure. then I'll take 88. But if it's just take what they did to now, then, you know, no, yeah, right. 17 would be the only one that would make a lot of sense on that. Let's just stick with the question of since 2010, Vince, 
I mean, I think the the easy answer for me is a the current one. But if yeah. I go one we've seen together, I'm I'm taking the 2017 staff, and I'm putting them with the 2015 team. So Not that far apart. Yeah, basically, you're xing out the defensive coordinator. Pretty much, and Chip Long is the offensive coordinator, right. and then Harry's still the O line coach, right. and then basically you have a new you have a new defensive staff to a right. degree, but right. it's mainly the defense. I mean, give give Mike Elko that 2015 defense are you kidding me like come on now i mean that would be fun to watch that would be incredibly incredibly fun to watch there's no out no doubt about it no doubt about it okay let's get down to some more here we did have a couple super chats i want to get to Corey d with a super chat thank you Corey. uh just got here i apologize it's already been addressed but is there any word on richard young's visit so Corey, i know that you're on the message board and if something's not on the message board, I'm probably not going to talk about it here. Look, here's what I don't really want our site to get in the habit of. It's getting these fluffy, like, oh, I heard everything went great. Had a great time. Just about every kid has a great time. Right, That's about all that we've heard so far. Had a great time. Notre Dame made a strong impression. That's it. And that's all coming from one side because he does not – I mean, we warned you about this. He doesn't talk to the media. Right. So you're going to get one side of this, and that's it. We are working on getting someone to his high school in hopes of being able to sit down with him. We'll let you know. But honestly, like that's the reason I haven't reported is because there's just nothing more than he had a great time. He was impressed by what Notre Dame had to offer and, and that's it, you know? So we'll see. We'll see if it can go to the, go to the next level. We'll find out. Frank G also had a super chat Vince. Now. So now on the flip side, his previous question was about, uh, Notre Dame misses. Who were uh, who are who are some recruits that Notre Dame signed with Notre Dame, who are big steals from other schools? Now, these are always tough because you're just kind of like trying to draw it up on, on memory. So somebody uh, they I, flipped, basically, right? I mean, somebody that flipped, or maybe somebody they got from somebody's backyard, or okay, you know, like kind of, you so know, I feel like Notre Dame's in everybody's backyard, so that's like right. But like a kid that was like, oh, everybody thought, you know, I have a friend, Tony, who would be great at this. He'd be able to like, like rattle off all these names, right? But, you know, who are big steals from other schools. You know, he flipped Brandon Wimbush from Penn State at the yeah. time. I mean, that, you know, Brandon's career didn't turn out how we'd hoped because of several factors, but that was a big one. You know, flipping Alizé Mack from, he was Alizé Jones at the time, flipping him from UCLA was big. Yeah. Uh, flipping, uh, Flipping Nick Martin from Kentucky real late. He had been committed to Kentucky. His dad was from Kentucky. Notre Dame didn't offer him early on or didn't wouldn't take him early on. Drew Tranquil from Purdue was a big one. People forget Drew almost decided to stick with his Notre Dame, with his Purdue commitment. Vince, you remember this. So Drew was committed to Purdue for a long time, and Notre Dame just didn't offer him or they didn't I remember if they offered him, but they weren't pushing for him. And then they went for him late. And he really thought long and hard because it was about, as you'd expect from Drew Tranquil, I'm going to honor my commitment, right? Yeah, like I gave I them my that. word. I'm going to honor my yeah. commitment. It was not easy for him to flip because it's not just, it's not just looking at which program is better. That's an easy one. Right. But uh, that one was, was very. Man, it was easy to give his word. Yeah. And I, that's one of the things that I actually liked a lot about him. So yeah. I, that, yeah. I'm with that whatsoever. I'm just trying to go through some of these classes just in the, since, you know, since Brian Kelly, got to Notre Dame and just trying to see if there's any I can any that just pop in my head like oh yeah um getting Aaron Lynch from Florida State late was big I mean say what you want that was big at the time didn't work out 
uh, you know, good one year. Didn't quite work out as you'd hoped or thought, but that was a pretty big one. Trying to go through and find some of these other guys that were were flips or steals from back then. Will Fuller, I mean, it, I wouldn't have said this at the time because we didn't know he was going to be what he was, but Notre Dame flipped him from Penn State. Yeah. Will Fuller was committed to Penn State for a while, and Notre Dame was able to flip him from there, which turned out to be a – I'd yeah. say that was a pretty big one. When you say, yeah, Vince, pretty – solid. Pretty yeah. big recruitment, pretty big flip. He turned out to be a pretty decent player, I'd say, right? That was a good one. Just kind of going through some of these other – just trying to remember some guys. I mean, Josh Brahas was considered a big flip at the time from Penn State. That didn't pan out, but that was considered a big flip at the time. I'm, I'm sensing a theme yeah. here. We, Penn State an awful lot. I know, right? Seriously. And then there was, <laughs> what, one for UCLA? That's about it, right, I think? The ones you've mentioned. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just taking mental right. account of what you – Troy Pride, they flipped from Virginia Tech. I believe he was committed to Virginia. I could be I could be wrong on that, but I believe he was committed to Virginia Tech when Notre Dame flipped him. So that if I if my memory's correct. Now they flipped Khalid Kareem from Bama to a degree. Like he didn't flip from Bama to Notre Dame, but he decommitted from Bama because Notre Dame of that push. And they did flip Dalen Hayes from USC. That was a big one too. But he always kind of wanted to be at Notre Dame. That's that's the secret that a lot of people don't remember is he did want to be at Notre Dame going down through a few few more of these Jeremiah Wusukormo I believe was committed to Virginia at one point in time I could be wrong on that but I thought he was committed to Virginia at one point in time all right let's see I Vince from top of my head I think that's that's the really big ones that I remember Houston Griffith at the time was considered a big flip when they flipped him from Florida State that was a big one uh, getting Braden Lindsay late because remember he flipped to Oregon back yeah was, and then they got him back that was a big one yep that, that, was, was, a, re- that was a track thing like he was going to oregon for track correct yeah. well he's gonna play football too but they used right. the track aspect yeah. to really yeah to really it's actually smart recruiting very very <laughs> no question you know his dad I, I believe his dad worked at nike yes so that kind of factored into it as well yeah, that's why i figured when you he know. committed from notre dame and then committed to oregon the dad factor and the track factor i was like well he's not coming back so yeah, yeah i remember that really yeah. well that's an interesting one and i think that's about it uh of the guys that they flipped i, I still think in the last couple of years going into michigan's backyard and getting rocco spindler and josh burnham were big now we don't know how they're going to pan out but I think those were two huge, huge sure. recruitments that they were able to steal, uh, sort of out of people's backyards. I, you know, like I'd have to go through. It. Frank, if you're on the message board, these are great message board questions because it gives us time to do a little research and really think about some of those guys. So, a good, good question. Just a little bit, a little bit harder to just kind of. People in the chat said uh, Marcus Freeman from LSU. It's huh. a good That's... one. It's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. Very well done.